0: As a reminder, we will have our first Hoop Collective live show Friday, December 8th in Las Vegas at the Jimmy Kimmel Comedy Club at the link right there on the strip. Link for tickets, bit.ly, bit.ly slash Wendy Hoop Vegas. That's the link. Hello, welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Wednesday evening. Actually, it's after midnight east coast so it's um tuesday um actually it's not quite after midnight yet but we'll be after midnight by the time we're done here i, I i'm known sets. to you know, i'm known to get my time zones wrong you want to know why my time zone is wrong because this computer i'm using i just switched computers because people were telling me that i looked fuzzy well first off excuse me i'm getting ahead of myself joining us from seattle washington the machine kevin pelton hello kevin pelton
1: It is safely Tuesday night for many hours to come the night is young.
0: Comfortably, comfortably in Tuesday night. I switched computers. I had been using an older computer. I switched to a newer computer because I the camera was not getting it done on the YouTube feed. So I switched to a newer computer, and this is a computer that I used overseas earlier this year, and it's set to that overseas time zone. And i haven't fixed it yet and so it says wednesday (laughs) it's like middle of the day wednesday with where uh with, with since i use you know i haven't used it back i use it for the it's too much too much information the point is i apologize for getting the day wrong so here on tuesday night mr pelton a little later on by the way we're going to um uh talk uh early season or should say um, small sample size theater, which we like to do every November or early December. You're our expert at that. But I think we should start with um, the winding down group play for the in season tournament. Um, there's still uh, some games going on out West as we do this. The, the one game of note that's still going actually the only game now is Warriors Kings. The Warriors are up comfortably in the third quarter, but they're chasing a uh, point differential. So We'll see how that goes. Um, Point differential, I feel like, was the story of the night, Kevin. I guess if you are a very close NBA fan, you would have realized that point differential was a really important thing coming into to this. But if you didn't, you certainly knew after watching tonight's games.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could certainly see it reflected in the scoreboard. <clears throat> Boston wins by 27. Milwaukee. Uh, Cleveland wins by 23, New York wins by 24. All teams were in position potentially where that point differential could have mattered for the wild card spot in the Eastern Conference. Ultimately didn't for Boston because in kind of the closest of the the games that mattered in the early window was actually Toronto and Brooklyn, neither of whom were likely to make it to the end-season tournament, but had Toronto pulled that upset in Brooklyn, it would have then guaranteed Orlando first place in their group with Boston no matter what the Celtics did against the Bulls and would have pushed the Celtics into that wild card uh race against the Knicks and, and some other teams instead it was the Knicks with their blowout win against the the Hornets without LaMelo Ball who end up in the wild card spot and do we want to go through just kind of the the sum result of this in the Eastern Conference.
0: Yeah, I will say um just two things real quick. One, one thing that I'm taking away from the in-season tournament is if you get to play on the last night and you know what your point differential situation is, it's an advantage. Now, that wasn't the case for everybody tonight uh, because there were some games going on concurrently, like the Cavs had to watch the Knicks, for example. But there were a few teams that were well aware of what they needed point differential-wise, and that's an advantage. Um, In the current incarnation, you can't have every team play at the same time, uh, which they do in soccer um, when there's point differential stuff because there's five teams in every group and forget the time zone challenges. If there's five teams. You can't have all teams playing at the same time. So I don't know how you solve that. I would say that probably going forward, there'll be more attention paid to point differential in the early in-season tournament rounds. We didn't have anybody almost talking about that, like in, you know, games one and two of that. Um, the other thing is, I don't know how you're going to handle the betting when the point spreads going forward, because For example, the Celtics were, you know, 12 and a half point favorites against Chicago tonight. They needed like, I think, 23. Would you say 23 was what they needed? That sounds right. I think it was around
1: 22, 23. Well,
0: anyway, they clearly played to, you know, hit that net, hit that number, which they did. And early in this game, uh, Jackson's telling us 23. Early in the, earlier in the fourth quarter of this game, they were playing against the Bulls. The game was out of hand. The game was in hand for the Celtics, and they were hacking, um, doing the, the, the hack of Drummond. Or they were hacking Andre Drummond to send him to the line, and Joe Mazzula had to go down in the middle of the game to explain to Billy Donovan that they weren't trying to do anything on tour, but they were following through the situation. But there was a 12.5-point spread, so I don't know how you handled that going forward.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was one of those unusual situations where I guess the, the assumption was that Chicago would keep things close enough that, you know, Boston wouldn't have the ability to manipulate kind of the the score late in the game. But uh the Bolsas, they often have this season, were not up to that particular task. And I think it was around 22 at halftime in this game. And, you know, that was really kind of the, the only drama in the second half was it, it does add a layer because it, you know, it wasn't just enough for the Celtics to win the game. It was that they had to do it by a certain amount to, you know, I was saying the wild card race, but they also had to do that to surpass Orlando in their group to to win that. Uh, yeah, they were up 19 at halftime. So it was right in that ballpark, pretty much the entire second half. And yeah, it strikes me as somewhat similar to, I mean, the Kings Warriors game is the most interesting one. The the, war, the, the Kings is, which is going on as we record right now, the Kings could lose this game and still win the group if they lose by less than 11 points. So it's like an aggregate series in soccer that you know, you're know you familiar with if you watch European soccer. Also, MLS had a number of aggregate series for a long period of time in their mini convoluted playoff scenarios that uh, can seem to change every year. You can win the game, but still lose the series. And that's kind of an unusual situation that we have not experienced before in the NBA.
0: Yeah, as a golf fan, it kind of reminds me, of Pelton, um, a few years ago, You know, they would have this season ending event, the FedEx Cup, and it was an aggregated points thing. And so there was a time when Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods were playing in the final group of this season ending event. Amazing, right? Like, you know, number one, number two in the world, like great rivals. And I I think it was Mickelson was winning the tournament, uh, but Tiger was going to take the season long race. He had sort of had it secured. And so like they're playing 18, Mickelson wins the tournament. And, you know, like 5 million bucks, but Tiger, or I don't know, maybe it was like 2 million bucks. But Tiger wins a season-long event and wins $10 million. So it was this awkward moment where, like, you know, Mickelson won, but really didn't. And uh, so that's what could happen here as we see how this Kings Games finishes. They lose by 10. They've lost. They lose the standing. They lose to their rival. But they advance to Monday or Tuesday's quarterfinals, and and the Warriors are out. So it is a bit of an awkward thing. But I think the um the headlines, um, since we have most of it settled, it's a really nice mix, Pelton. So you're gonna have the Bucs are in. They beat the Heat. Um, the Heat played um without Jimmy Butler um and lost a close game to the Bucks. Um, Bucks played some great offense down the stretch of that game. Ran a couple of really nice sets at the end of the game. We've been hard on the Bucks. For sort of underperforming expectations, but there's no doubt their late game offense is vastly improved. You definitely saw it in this game, Chris Milton with a couple of big baskets, Lillard strong down the stretch, and they ran a great set in the final minute that ended up in a Brook Lopez dunk, which basically sealed the game. So we see the Bucks advance, we see the Knicks uh, advance, which you know I'm sure our bosses at ESPN, the TNT bosses, are thrilled to see the Knicks in Uh, the Lakers already advanced. So you've got the bucks Lakers and Knicks in. So you've got two biggest markets uh, plus um, a star studded team in the bucks and the Celtics, as you mentioned, get it done tonight with their, um, you know, with, you know, you know, and they ended up winning their group um, because the Nets also won. It was convoluted. They ended up in a, in a three-way tie where they won Um, the Knicks got the wild card. The, The Celtics won the group. But it will be the Bucks and the Indiana Pacers who will be the hosts in the Eastern Conference. They both went 4-0. But um, so you've got Celtics, Bucks, Lakers, Knicks in big, you know, big markets, star-studded uh situation. Pacers were the first team to qualify. They're in and hosting. Young and yeah. upcoming, very exciting team. So they're in as well. And um the uh we'll see what happens. It's still possible that the Timberwolves could get in. my writer. right or have they been eliminated? I
1: think they've been eliminated at this point. I think okay, it's gonna be Sacramento eliminated. and Golden
0: State. Sacramento and Golden State. Okay. Um, so uh the Kings also, I'm sorry, the Suns also wrapped up their qualification tonight. Um, they were in very strong uh chance of, of uh winning the wild card, which they ended up winning, and so um again another star-studded team that is going to be in the in-season tournament. And so we'll see if the Kings, who at this moment are down 15, and if the game ended at this moment, they would be out. But all right, so I've danced around it. Here are the pairings Jackson's giving to me. So it will be Knicks at Bucks and Celtics at Pacers in the East, in the quarterfinal East quarterfinals. In the West quarterfinals, it will be Suns at Lakers. They've already played two highly entertaining games this season. And then it will be the Pelicans who qualified when the Rockets couldn't get it done in Dallas uh, uh, on Tuesday night. So the Pelicans, you know, Zion is in and a uh, team that's been up and down, but ends up, you know, advancing in this event. So somewhat like the Knicks who've been up and down, but um, advancing this event. And then it's the Kings or Warriors, whoever wins it here. And, you know, the fascinating thing, as you said, I believe it the magic number is 11 here, Pelton. And if this game goes down to the wire and it's, uh, you know, around 11 points, it'll be like, a different game within a game. So we'll see how that goes.
1: Yeah. I mean, you could have scenarios where the winning team is intentionally fouling to try to extend the game because they need to add to their point differential if the Warriors are leading this one.
0: Right. So, and I understand it's confusing. I see a lot of people, I even see people on television complaining um, that they don't fully understand it. That's okay. You know, part of this experience, especially in this first year is for everybody to learn it. And it may be confusing, but it gives another layer. Another thing to pay attention to. And so I think, you know, I think it's, you know, on balance, it's a good thing. You can say I'm biased if you want, that's fine. But, you know, some teams that hadn't played for stuff, like it'd been a long time since the Rockets played a game this meaningful years. And they played a game that's meaningful. Unfortunately, they lost. They're now 0 6 on the road. What do you, how do you feel like? Uh, we still don't know Kings or, La- or uh, Warriors. How do you feel like the handicapping of the in-season quarterfinals uh, are looking, Pelton?
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting because in the East, despite the fact that you have the Pacers, and there is a team that did not even reach the play-in last year, this will be, you know, as you guys have talked about on the pod, Tyrese Halliburton's. Uh, I don't know if they're on. We know who's on ESPN or TNT for those quarterfinal final games, but potentially his first game ever on TNT, certainly his first, you know, post. Uh, I guess sort of, you know, non-regular season game, let's say, because he hasn't even made the the play in yet in his career. So that's a a pretty exciting thing. But then you look at it and the odds are Milwaukee's going to be favored to win at home. Boston will probably be favored to win at Indiana. So we could get the Eastern Conference finals we expected coming into this season of Milwaukee and Boston. So the West will be a little different in that regard, where, you know, I think the I mean the Denver Nuggets as the favorites in the conference did not make it. Lost at Houston, uh, weren't in contention even going into the the final night of this, weren't one of the two teams from that group that had a chance. So they're out. The Suns and Lakers are the two teams that, you know, are in so far that are sort of, you know, were considered championship contenders going into the season. One of them will make it to Vegas, but not both of them. And then that other spot, you've got New Orleans, another team that wasn't in the playoffs last year. So, you know, this is uh we've seen Zion in the I guess we haven't seen him in the play-in even, so we haven't seen Zion play Non regular season game in his career either, so that's that's an exciting thing. And then if it's them versus Sacramento, it'd be kind of guaranteed a younger, up and coming team to make it to the quarterfinals. If it's them versus the Warriors, then you've got that situation where it could be two powers. It's you know potentially Steph Curry versus LeBron or Steph Curry versus KD. The the Warriors facing KD again. So there's a lot of a lot of tasty matchups here, and just kind of I think enough. Cinderella aspect to have that that be a compelling storyline for fans to follow.
0: Looking at this, you could have Celtics-Bucks and Lakers-Warriors or Suns-Warriors as your final four, and that would be a dream situation for the league. But you could also just as easily have a final where the Pacers are playing the Kings, and you could see a game that's, you know, 147 to 144 the, the um, Halliburton
1: Sabonis bowl.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, and in all honesty, like I could make a strong case that both of them would be great for the league. It, it would have been, you know, yeah, or, you know, you could have, you know, Zion, you know, Zion versus the Knicks could, could even play itself out. Um, so there's, there's a lot of different ways it can go. And I think all of them are positive. I don't think there's any downside to the way these quarterfinals are going to play out. I think it's, um, that's exactly what the NBA basically could have wanted. There's some Cinderella's in there. There's some legacy teams in there. There's some games that um, have will have meaning later in there. There's some you know, absolute superstars in there. So um, I think it'll be great. We'll talk more about it as we get closer to it.
1: Yeah, go ahead. The one thing I kind of wish would have happened, Knicks at Pacers would have been a pretty delicious matchup if we could have got that come to pass.
0: Yeah, for sure. I agree. And um, I also think that, there's a lot of strong candidates for MVP who could be MVP of this. Uh, you could see some, you know, you've got some guys, you got a bunch of guys in here who could put up some enormous numbers.
1: I mean, one of the fascinating things is you look at, you know, we did our way too early MVP picks last week. I can't remember if uh, there might've been a third player got picked, but I think the two most popular picks were Nikola Jokic and Shea Gilgis-Alexander neither of them are in this tournament. So yeah, it does really open things up.
0: Well, uh, I mean, Joel Embiid is putting together already a very strong yeah. defense campaign. Um, but I would say that, you know, looking at early MVP candidates, it's of course too early, as you said, Devin Booker uh, should be on the short list as well. Devin Booker is putting up tremendous numbers in there. His value is being underscored. The, you know, they're they just are a vastly different team when he plays. So, um, it could also be a venue for Devin Booker. And, you know, um, you know, Booker has his, his record in, uh, elimination games isn't, um, unblemished, but he's got some terrific performances already, uh, on that belt for, in, you know, closeout games, which all of these, you know, the knockout round, they're all basically closeout games. So, you know, if Devin Booker has a great week next week, not only could he emerge with the trophy and that MVP award uh, and 500 grand, but he could emerge like having sort of set the tone as who could be the leader for early season MVP candidate that could come out of this. You sort of establish yourself. I don't remember what they named the MVP trophy. I know they gave it a name, but I forget now. Look it up. But I know they they gave a bunch of names for, you know, new awards and some of one of them is the MVP of the in-season tournament. Who was the greatest in-season player of all time? <laughs> yeah, uh, I haven't
1: I have not crunched out the numbers on the wins above replacement player specifically for in-season tournament games.
0: How dare you? How dare you. <laughs> More hoop collective podcast after this. All right. Well, speaking of your um your your work and, and your analysis, we will we will re uh we will reevaluate uh warriors kings as soon as we uh, have a have a final right now it is a 13 point game and exactly on basically on the line of where it could go either way Um, And, and, And
1: intriguing because steph curry hasn't rested in the second half yet chris paul is out of this game so that's a bit of a an element that's hurting i guess he's just checked out as i said that uh we, interesting to see how Corey Joseph at point guard affects the Warriors here trying to maintain that margin.
0: Wouldn't it be amazing if they, if uh, Steve Curry just played Steph like 47 minutes tonight? <laughs> just gone for it. Like, you know, forget about all our championships and everything that we've won, 73 wins and everything like that. We're going for the in-season quarterfinals, baby. We don't care if it hurts Steph Curry in uh, November. Okay. So we move on to the, uh, one of our favorite things we do, um, small sample size theater, where we take a look At early season trends and overreact to them, or maybe properly react to them, uh, Mr. Pelton. And I don't keep track of, I don't go back and listen and keep track of these, but you know, I'm sure you've always been right in all of your your analysis, of course. Yeah. Um, uh, you have a piece that is going to run on espn.com on Wednesday about the most surprising teams, um, teams we didn't see coming, in my view. I think Houston has outperformed what we expected of them, but in my view, I, the most surprising team has been Orlando, who start this week. They um, they play Wednesday night against the Wizards and they also play Friday against the Wizards. But they're twelve and five. What do you see about the about the Magic in small sample size here that you know you think could sustain or not sustain?
1: Yeah, I think there are reasonable choices. The most surprising team in the league, one of the stats that I have in there is if you compare teams' current win percentage to what you would have expected based on their over-under win total coming into the season, Orlando has outperformed that most of any team in the league. And kind of the fascinating thing about them from a small sample size theater perspective is you know there's usually all these hallmarks of teams that get off to hot starts. There's a... Th- a through line that we'll, we maybe we'll talk about with some other teams. You're almost always healthy. You almost always have opponents shoot poorly against you. What well, turns out, neither of those is really happening with the magic who, you know, as you guys talked about on the pod recently have been without Wendell Carter jr. And Markel false, two of their starters for an extended period of time, just, haven't skipped a beat whatsoever with Goga Patase steady, stepping into the starting lineup at uh, center and Anthony Black starting a number of games at, at guard in place of Markel Fultz. Uh, they've shown to be deep enough to withstand injuries. You know, I think it is a little different if it's Paolo Bancaro or Franz Wagner or even maybe Cole Anthony because they depend so much on those guys to generate offense for them. That's where they're not very deep in shot creation. Uh, but then the other element of it is defensively, they are top three in the league, and it's not based on the fa- the shooting factor at all, their league average in terms of opponent shooting. It's almost entirely based on their dominance in two categories that typically don't go together, defensive rebounding and turnovers. They're forcing the highest turnover rate in the league thus far. They are number two in defensive rebounding. Uh, to find a team that has been top two in both of those categories over a full season, you have to go back to the 1984-85 Philadelphia 76ers. Who also did it in 1982, 83, which was the faux flow, flow, flow team that uh, went, I think, 12 and one on route to the title that year, where they had Maurice Cheeks was kind of the the Steals leader playing the, playing the Jalen Suggs role in that team. Moses Malone obviously locking down the defensive glass. Of course,
0: Moses Malone was more. He's the greatest offensive rebounder of all time. Yeah. One of the most unbreakable records in NBA history is Moses Malone's offensive rebound record. He's got career. like like career offensive rebounds. He's got like I don't know what it is, but it's like some obscene amount more than the guy in second place. I can't even remember who it is, but um, he was, he was obviously a great rebounder, but more known as an offensive rebounder. But in this case, that was an incredible uh, paragraph in your piece that basically the magic are doing something that hasn't been seen in almost 40 years and that that's their, uh, (laughs) I don't know if that was their blueprint. Like, I don't know. I don't know if Jeff Weltman was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build a team that's great at defensive rebounding and forces turnovers. But that is what they have. And like you said, you know, Wendell Carter is a guy who gets rebounds and he's not been there. So, uh, you know, I think one of one of this early season success stories with team within a team is Mo Wagner who's been terrific for them. He's been one of the best big men off the bench in the NBA. And, um, you know, I did not predict that in, um, in the end of November, we would be speaking about Orlando magic and Mo Wagner, but here we are.
1: Uh, my girlfriend attended the, uh, magic's game in Portland, their home opener with me. And, uh, Identified without knowing knowing much about the Magic's roster, she felt Mo Wagner was the best player on their roster. That you had a very well. Strong we now know in.
0: why you've connected. Is that you drove home talking about Mo Wagner? <laughs> um, that is, you know, you found a special one there, Pelton.
1: We did not. That was a text during the game. So uh, oh, I see you know, I, I, I was not, not forcing her ruined to talk. My narrative. Orlando, Orlando Magic Basketball the entire three hour drive back to Seattle. <laughs> the other guy we should talk about though is, is Jonathan Isaac, who doesn't play a ton of minutes for this team. But I think if you were to talk about defensive impact on a per possession basis, nobody in the league, I think, has been as impactful as Jonathan Isaac in terms of his ability wow. to protect the rim, defend multiple positions like the his defensive advanced stats are off the charts right now
0: yeah and uh i think you know maybe they'll have a little bit of a market correction but maybe not you know that stuff you know what they're what you're talking about there isn't exactly something that should end like it's not like they're like on a super hot 10 game streak where they're shooting 50 percent from three like if you defensive rebound you should defensive rebound you Yeah, know? they've
1: They've underperformed their expected three-point percentage coming into the season based on who's getting those shots. I mean, I I think the one thing that would be a concern for them is, you know, if teams really start aggressively zoning them and taking advantage of their lack of shooting, maybe that's how you keep Paolo Banquero and Franz Wagner from getting to the free throw line as much as I ha- they have early in the season. But you know, it's not like it's not like teams are just now realizing the Magic don't have good shooting and they haven't been able to stop them yet.
0: Okay, another team you uh, you mentioned was the Indiana Pacers. Only a couple of games over five hundred, but um, and they're also they're actually scuffling a little bit. But they've overachieved what we thought, and they're going to be in the in season tournament playing some big games potentially next week. Uh, Other than Tyrese Halliburton just having a great start, what are you seeing from them? Small sample size.
1: I mean, I think that is the single biggest thing because you know defensively, is, is is you've talked about on the pod. This is one of the worst teams in the league, but they are the the best offense. Uh, in terms of the most efficient offense, I should say, not the best offense in NBA history right now, and the biggest thing I identified as a kind of potential trouble spot for them was health. Halliburton missed that one game that they lost by 51 to Boston when the Celtics made a million threes and in Indiana did not make very many. Other than that, their rotation has been almost entirely healthy. Aaron neesmith missed a couple of games. That's that's it as far as them in health. And look. You know, they're a dramatically different offensive team with Halliburton on the court. I think one of the big takeaways from this season so far is that Halliburton is an offensive engine to carry a team is right there with anyone in the league. I think, you know, he's without question, a top five offensive player in the league and he's not five and he's probably not four either. So when you combine the way he's shooting, which is not dramatically better than what he shot. In the past, although a little bit, little bit better from three, and then on a higher volume, and then with his playmaking ability, that you know the distribution that we've always seen from him, that's we're talking prime Steve
0: Nash kind of season that he's submitting right now. Well, prime Steve Nash was a two-time MVP. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I don't take uh, teams that are this bad defensively seriously, but having said that, look if the Pacers make the play in it's a tremendous step forward for them. And, you know, I think they've got a real shot at that. And, um, you know, the Pacers also are a team that can make a midseason trade. Now, whether they will or not, we'll see. They have buddy healed, um, and that contract, they are in possession of their picks. You know, they could potentially look to add to this roster midway through the year, if they so choose. Um, and then it would be, um, you know, Maybe it would change their horizon a little bit. You know, we'll see how aggressive they are, but certainly the fact that we can even have that discussion about them is a is a step forward for them. And you know, I don't know if they'll um, they'll continue uh, to um, have the greatest offense of all time as they are right now, or if they'll come back a little bit. But they certainly are playing a style that matches their talent, and that's one of the things that you struggle with in the NBA is to get a coach who wants to coach a style that fits what his players are doing. And Rick Carlisle had and uh you know their front office uh, Chad Buchanan um and Kevin Pritchard have gotten that team together. Now whether or not it works I don't know, but um you know this is one of the, when the, the, the last time the Pacers had a um very good team they did this exact same thing. They had players that fit the style that their coach coached, which Frank Vogel, the defensive-centered coach, they had this giant who playing center and Roy Hibbert. They set up their system to funnel the ball toward him. He like changed the way defense was played in the NBA with the rule of verticality. They use this system to be having to create a championship contender before. So we'll see, um, uh, whether or not they can keep that going. Um, Pelton, you also have the Minnesota Timberwolves on your list. Um, Timberwolves had high hopes coming into this season, but, that seems like it happens every three years. So this year it looks like it's holding. Um, they did get a win tonight, but um, not going to be enough to. It didn't. It wasn't enough to get them into the quarterfinals. But uh, I think Ann Edwards um, had uh, had a slight injury tonight, so hopefully he's okay. But um, you know, big win over the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder tonight, who was another team that you think is off to a surprising start. So what do you see in those two teams? Small sample size.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a matchup for first place in the Western Conference, just like we all expected between Minnesota and Oklahoma City a month into the end of season. So, Minnesota is a little bit less surprising from the standpoint of, you know, they were a playoff team last season, despite Carl Anthony Towns missing much of the year and, and despite, you know, and, and their statistical projections were quite strong coming into the season uh, after the, the Steven Adams injury bumped Memphis out of that spot, which, uh, is is not looking very good at all right now. Minnesota had the top projection in the Western Conference in my system coming into this year. They're still playing ahead of that pace. And you know I think again, a lot of this is pretty sustainable. Opponents have not shot threes well against them, but overall, but they have shot better recently and the Timberwolves keep winning games, including tonight in that where Oklahoma City, which came into tonight number one in the NBA in three point shooting, hit thirty seven percent in a loss Minnesota at forty two percent. And you know one of the tools that I've come up with in the process of these small sample size podcasts and some other similar projections is, okay, we talked about how the shooting component is the least stable of your defensive success early in the season. So if you take instead, based on second spectrums tracking, the expected outcome of the shots that you're giving up based on the location uh, that they're being taken at, based on the type of shot, distance of nearby defenders, and then also the ability of the shooter. So if you throw that in there with their defensive rebounding, with their foul rate, with their turnover rate, Minnesota still projects is one of the the best defenses in the league. Maybe not quite as good as they've been so far, not quite as good as Orlando, again, because of what they're doing, but way up there. And as long as they maintain that, I think You know, they've they've got enough offensive punch to to stay viable. And I think there's, you know, there's a real chance they're in the mix for first place in the Western Conference all season long.
0: I don't want to force this comparison, but when Tim Conley built the Denver Nuggets, he really, really prioritized size. In a league that is getting smaller and faster, he prioritized getting size. Now, as has been said many times over, he drafted Yusef Nurkic and Nikola Jokic the same night. Now, when they drafted Jokic, he didn't see him. They saw Nurkic as their future starter and Jokic as a possible backup. But he obviously drafted two centers in the same draft. That doesn't happen very often in the modern era. He drafted Michael Porter Jr., largely because he was a shooter at that size, even though he had back issues. He traded for Aaron Gordon. was one of his most significant trades that he made. Of course, he did trade away the rights to Rudy Gobert, but that's another topic. You know, But if you look at the way he put the Nuggets together, clearly size uh was a very important component he he wanted to have he gets to minnesota obviously his first major move is to trade for he already has an all nba big man in carl towns he trades for rudy gobert he signs kyle anderson uh as his first significant free agent signing who you know is known for having the size versatility for his size and you start to see i mean he already inherited some size there but um Anthony Edwards plays bigger than his size because he's got super long arms. They Jaden McDaniels was already on the roster. And uh, oh, well, he didn't come back in. Came back to the bench. Anyway, Jaden McDaniels, Tim Connolly prioritized holding on to him in that Gobert trade. You know, again, 6'10. So there's more components to why the the, the Timberwolves are good defensively just because of size, but clearly. Tim Connolly is trying to follow roughly the same path here. And it's not surprising that with all that size, one of the teams, one of the few teams that has truly given uh, Denver some headaches last couple of years is Minnesota. They are, even though they're much earlier in the process um, that size is um, is a factor. And so um, size shows up on defense. Uh, You know, right now McDaniels is out recovering from injury um so he's you know he'll be back soon but i do think that if you're looking for a reason why this can be sustainable is because they have some redundancy to protect themselves from you know short term injuries um and they have tremendous size and one of the things that's happened is that they've just teams have just sh- shot the ball very poorly against them this year they've had games they struggled to score over 100 points and a bunch of teams have had their lowest shooting games of the year against minnesota because quite frankly they're not used to dealing with that size on a, on an average night basis and so if you're looking for a reason to believe in the wolves they're not getting any shorter <laughs> you know that that's that's, that's going to continue being there
1: yeah, their interior defense has been up there with anyone in the league and Rudy Gobert at the center of that. Uh, you mentioned all their moves of size. The other one, re signing Nas Reed last summer, I think that was technically an extension. Correct. Like That's that right. was a situation where they, I think most teams would have let him walk with Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns. He had struggled to kind of play with those guys last season uh, when they tried those lineups during the brief period of time Gobert and Towns were both healthy. And Reed's been awesome this season. Had a terrific game tonight off the bench with uh, 15 points on six of nine shooting, seven rebounds, two blocks. So he's a big part of it. I I think you know if you look at the 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 risk for them health wise, it's an injury in the backcourt because Mike Conley is still so important for them. You know, even on night where he shoots three of 14 from the field, he's a plus 17. Uh, is you know just organizing that offense, what he's done. You know the 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 leap that they've made since they swapped D'Angelo Russell out for him is surely no coincidence. And then Edwards, you know, he's his skill set is, even though you can shift more of the offense to Carl Anthony Towns, his skill set is still pretty irreplaceable for them.
0: By the way, to follow up on Moses Malone, since I mentioned earlier, he has when you include the ABA and NBA numbers, which I will do, um, he has twenty five hundred more offensive rebounds than the man in second who's artist Gilmore 2,500 so to put that in perspective artist Gilmore is as far away from one being number two to number one as the as artist Gilmore is to the guy who's 60th on the list so the difference between 60 and two is the same on the off- career offensive rebounds between one and two and just to put it in perspective the active offensive rebounding leader is Andre Drummond. I also would not have predicted Andre Drummond would get two mentions on this podcast and he's got 3,400 and he's um, at 21. He, she should very soon turn to the top 20. So Andre Drummond, who's in the top 20, even if you doubled his career offensive rebounding numbers, he would still be a thousand rebounds, a thousand offensive rebounds behind Moses Malone. Um, okay, um real quick, uh, let's get your thoughts on the thunder amongst your surprising teams in your small sample size.
1: Yeah, so this is one case, and you know, I don't know that tonight was necessarily an example of it where it does seem likely that they are going to be unable to keep up this pace when you look under the hood at how they're doing it. Uh, I mentioned earlier, number one in the league in three point shooting thus far, they were a, you know, an average three point shooting team a year ago. Chet Holmgren, Kason Wallace, who was three of three tonight, have both shot the three terrifically better than they did from the shorter college line. That's probably not going to continue. It's it's a little amusing. It's someone who watched a lot of Kason Wallace at Kentucky, and you know his the biggest knock on him was he couldn't shoot threes, and now all of a sudden he's hitting like fifty percent in the NBA. I don't don't on decent volume. I don't quite understand how that happened. And then defensively, they have been a little more reliant. On opponents just missing shots. And, you know, I think some of that is Chet Holmgren. And they're another team that, even though they play a very small lineup, they have length relative to the height at those positions that, uh, you know, I think can help them. But I don't think they're going to stay in the top 10 defensively. And without that, they probably slide back down the standings a little bit. But you know, still a realistic chance that this team at the very least can make the top six and avoid the play in. And that would be a huge step forward to, for what is still the second youngest team in the league in terms of weighted age, age weighted by minutes play.
0: You also have the Rockets in there. I forgot about them. They had a disappointing loss. and I still don't have a a road win on the season, um, have benefited from a somewhat favorable schedule. That said, they had tie; they were tied for the worst record in the league last year. And the fact that they are even relevant at all, and that had a chance to get into the in-season tournament. Now, granted, they spent a bunch of money in the off-season to upgrade. and When you go through free agency, that's one thing that you can do is you, can, you tend to get better real quickly. It doesn't always work medium term, but um, they got what they wanted with their coaching change, and they got what they wanted with their free agent additions. Dylan Brooks and Fred VanVleet have been good. Um, what have you seen about the Rockets who came into tonight – Number one in the league in scoring defense that will take a hit because they gave up over 120 to the Mavericks in Dallas. But um, uh, is this a sustainable situation with the Rockets, you think?
1: Yeah. Once again, the Mavericks best defense was their offense in this one. I, I think that there are sustainable elements offensively, what they're doing. You know, we talked about on the Friendsgiving pod, how adding Van Vliet and even Dylan Brooks to, you know, give some more floor spacing and some more organization has helped Alperen Shingun offensively has helped Jabari Smith Jr. to a lesser extent, but really Shingun taking a step into possibly an all-star center. And defensively, it's going to be interesting to watch their opponent three-point shooting. It came into tonight number two in the league behind New Orleans. And Imei Yudoka, when he was the head coach of the Celtics, they allowed the lowest three-point percentage in the league, which is something Boston has a history of doing. Uh, 15 of the last 16 years, they've been in the top 10. And some of the coaches who leave there go on to have the same success elsewhere. Doc Rivers, nine of the last 10 years, his teams have been in the top it's 10. It's a fascinating
0: number. I've never... So, how How do you possibly explain that?
1: I mean, people have, you know, come up with various explanations for how they're contesting and that sort of thing. It, it is kind of fascinating. But to me fifteen that,
0: years—that's the teams turned over multiple times. Yeah, multiple coaching changes: Doc to Brad Stevens to Eme to Missoula. That's I don't I don't I don't know how to explain it.
1: You would also think, like, if it is something about the way that they've taught players how to contest. Well, you know, why doesn't it carry over when Avery Bradley goes to another team or Marcus Smart in Memphis now? I mean, obviously, they're only one player as opposed to 12. But if it was something they were taught, you'd think that they could teach everyone else. And somehow it's only the coaches who are having this effect, as far
0: as I can tell. Hmm. Strange. we'll we'll keep an eye on the Rockets. More
1: Hoop Collective podcast after this.
0: Some other early season trends I would like to talk about the LA Clippers who had what I term the most humiliating loss of the season um, on Tuesday, on uh, Tuesday, uh, Monday night against the uh, Denver Nuggets at home, you know, losing to the Nuggets is never a, you know, big of an insult normally, but no Niko Jokic, no Jamal Murray, no Aaron Gordon, the Clippers are playing at home. They're up 11 going to the fourth quarter deandre jordan in that game it's too bad mcmahon's not here deandre jordan his favorite player (laughs) let's just say deandre jordan is not in the condition he was 10 years ago i think is that is that is that a kind way to put it for a man who's not in great condition himself is that is that a fair way to put it i i think that Uh, is
1: a fair assessment i mean he he'd only played two games all season coming into this i think he
0: scored seven points they dusted him off
1: in their previous game before that. And it, it was kind of shocking when he came out there and played 12 minutes in, in that one. He had played 12 minutes in one other game. And then, yeah, it goes 33 minutes, 21 points, 13 points, five assists.
0: Okay, Incredible. DeAndre Jordan, just go look at the highlights of that game and look at DeAndre Jordan, okay? I'm just, I'm trying to be kind here, okay? He had 21 points in that game. Pelton, he hadn't had 21, he hadn't had the 20-point game this decade. The last time he had a 20-point game, I looked it up. The last time he had a 20-point game was pre-COVID. Was it okay? Was it in
1: Dallas? Was it was it in his it Stanford
0: was 2018-19 season? It was March of 19. I don't I don't remember who he was playing for.
1: Okay, he'd already been traded to New York by that point, I think. Or, okay, or so whatever. He had,
0: he had 20 he had 21 points in this game. Reggie Jackson had a tribute video and then put up 35 on the team that cast him off last year. It had to be an extremely, I mean, look, Reggie Jackson has a ring. He has no, you know, he can't be too upset at the way it went out last year, but he was a cast off by the Clippers and came back in, got his, got his, uh, his ovation and then dropped 35 on them. Plus threw a bunch of lobs to Deandre. It was an embarrassing performance by the Clippers, but here's what I'm, what I'm getting to with Harden george and and leonard on the court together they've played about 250 minutes over 11 games with the way things went down on monday night they slipped into negative territory on their net rating and their plus minus they are now getting beat with those guys on the court now it is only 11 games it does not define a season having said that Lu said when they made the trade give us 10 games i'm not you know casting the die here but what have you seen from this trio go but that you know leads you to predict where it could be going forward.
1: So Ty said, give us 10 games. He actually gave it five because that's when Russell Westbrook moved to the bench.
0: I actually would argue, I'm glad you said that. I would actually argue that the, that the clock, which for the 10 games would start when they bench Westbrook because reducing his playing time was really the most important thing.
1: So if you look at, if you break down the minutes that those three guys have played together, they've played 102 of those minutes with Westbrook. They've been outscored by 19.6 points per 100 possessions in that period of time. Without Westbrook, they are... I'm switching over to cleaning the glass here to do this. So they take out garbage time and and some end-of-quarter heaves. Uh, now, plus 14.4 points per 100 possessions. Now, there's a lot of shooting luck involved on both sides of that. They shot 29% on threes and opponents hit 45% when it was Westbrook out there with those three guys. Now, if you take... The minutes without Westbrook uh, opponents are hitting under 30% on threes and neither of those are sustainable. They're going to even out somewhere between those. That to me is the worrisome thing about the Clippers. It's not necessarily, you know, kind of the, the overall PG Harden Kawhi numbers. It's that even if you look at this stretch, since Westbrook went to the bench, they are 20th in offensive rating, which is worse than they were last season. And the reason that they've gone four and two against what has been a very weak schedule is almost entirely how poorly opponents have shot the ball. I do think the Clippers have a chance to be pretty good defensively, but this was supposed to be a, a really potent offense when you add James Harden to the mix. And thus far, it has been anything but.
0: Uh, I was just um, while watching uh, the back and forth that Jason Kidd had with McMahon tonight, which um You'll be seeing on uh, social media, yeah. K- Jason Kidd, by the way, spectacular new frames makes him look, makes him uh, have uh, 15 more IQ points just because of those frames. And now he's talking Trasher McMahon, which we wholeheartedly endorse. It appears like, by the way, the Mavericks might be having new owners soon. And uh, uh, Mark Cuban looks like he's got an um, agreement to sell the team to the uh, Edelson family. I wonder if they'll just if Mark Cuban on his way out the door will ban McMahon one last time for Goodwill. Sorry. We're talking about the Clippers. I, I in communicating with folks in LA, I don't think they're excited about the way things have gone so far. They were hoped that it would go better, but they remain steadfast in their belief that it's going to work. What else would they do? You know, they can't go back, you know, so Sixers, gonna, no no backseas. Yeah, the Sixers are going to uh stick with the deal. So um it's still so early in the season. I will say that I don't know. Kawhi is not communicating how he's feeling. It sometimes it's hard to know when you watch Kawhi because it always to me looks like he's kind of limping. I, I don't know, but his numbers are down a little bit so far this year. His That's a, shooting. A lot. Yeah, his shooting is. I mean, it's not like he's shooting 26%, but his shooting is right now the worst it's been in his career percentage-wise. His scoring is down. And I realize that they're having some level of share the ball, but his minutes and shots are the same. He's not taking less, but he's scoring less. His efficiency is down. He had offseason knee surgery, and, you know, it's it's not been, you know, that long. So the thing that made the Clippers interesting at the end of last year was that Kawhi looked like vintage Kawhi, especially for the last month or so of the season and at the very start of that playoff series. And if you have that player, you have a big opportunity. So I would kind of say that how Harden fits, how many minutes Westbrook gets, how consistent Paul George is and how healthy he is, the ways Ty Lou figures out how to stagger the lineups, who to play with whom, all that stuff is important. And, you know uh, what's going on with uh, Zubac Zubach and how he was getting lost in his coverage, Deandre Jordan, I guess some of those are probably on Daniel Tyus, but however, they were getting lost in that pick and roll coverage. All of that has relevance. But if Kawhi Leonard isn't Kawhi Leonard, then all of that stuff is in the backseat. So I would say that while we're going to watch Harden and we're going to see how Westbrook comes, it was interesting today, um, Scott Perry, uh, the former, he's been an executive for over 30 years, but he's just joined us now at ESPN. He was on NBA Today with me today, and he actually floated the idea that the Clippers should consider bringing Harden off the bench because the Westbrook, Paul George Kawhi starting unit was doing okay and you bring Harden off the bench and you can actually ask him to sort of play more than he's used to like his classic ways i'm not sure that that's going to happen but that's not someone who's in he was inexperienced uh you know making that that suggestion but i'm keeping an eye on Kawhi at this point um yeah,
1: yeah let's talk about the numbers on that one i mean his shot quality thus far, according to those second spectrum metrics, is the highest since 2013-14, when he was still, you know, basically a three and D player for San Antonio. That was that was the year they won the championship. His shot making relative to that shot quality is the worst of his entire career. He was nine percent better. He shot nine percent better than the average player would have been expected to on the same shots that he took last year. This year, zero point two percent better. So that's how dramatic just from last season, the difference has been. Uh, He shot 50% last year on two point jumpers outside the paint this year. That's 37%. The worst of his career so far has been 43.5%. So, I mean, I guess the optimistic view of this is, you know, it's not like he's not getting to his spots. It's not like his shot diet has gotten dramatically more difficult coming off the injury, but those shots haven't gone in thus far and, you know, we'll see kind of whether that rebounds the rest of the season. I'd say I'm a little more worried going forward about what we've seen again, looking under the hood with James Hart.
0: Yeah. Well, the interesting thing with all these is all these guys have contract decisions coming up in the off season. So speaking of um, potential summer issues carrying over, I know you wanted to take a look at the guys who played in the world cup because um, there's been some evidence that that has led to um, a bit of a hangover in some cases. Because Luca looks pretty good, and Shea looks pretty good, and those guys played. But um, what was some of the things that you've been tracking from the guys that played uh, over the summer in in the Philippines?
1: Yeah, I got that question from my buddy David Locke after I think I mentioned it. while, while we were watching the uh, the Jazz Blazers game the other night, and I looked into it. You know, it, it's kind of felt like it. Austin Reeves, uh, in particular, off to a a really slow shooting, got off to a really slow shooting start. But then you look at the numbers, uh, both the international players who were in the World Cup and the American players in the World Cup have outperformed what you would have expected from them based on my Shaney projection system coming into this season. You know, Obviously, we talked about Halliburton early on. Oh, Halliburton, of course. Yeah, he's having the best season of his career. And Jalen Brunson. Uh, so they, those guys, Paolo Bencaro has taken a nice step forward in his second season, even more relative to what you would have expected. Uh, those guys have more than offset so far among the Americans. It's Brandon Ingram, Bobby Portis, who have underperformed, and then Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, by the most, you know, but that's that's a very different scenario in Memphis than last season with right. no John Moran and, and all the other injuries that they've had. So, you know, Walker Kessler also got off to kind of a slow start before his injury. Well, he was injured. Yeah, he came back and has been terrific the last couple of nights. They've, they've played much better as a team. So it turns out that uh, the, there is nothing to that one.
0: All right. I'm glad that you shot that down because I wasn't sure. I, you know, I, I think it's sort of a case by case basis on that. I certainly feel like, um, historically we see a world cup bounce from players, particularly because the guys who play in the world cup are usually a little bit younger. And so the curve for them is, you know, um, is a little bit more pronounced, but, uh, you know, it was, I gotta tell you, like when this season started, I mean, I'm not talking about the regular season, but when the playoff, when like the um, like media day came around, I went to Boston for media day. I was not in the headspace to start the season. People were like, um, Oh, you ready to start the season? Aren't you excited that the season started? And I was like, you want the honest answer? Or do you just want an answer to get us (laughs) through this conversation? Because, you know, I mean, for me, I was gone for a month. I mean, those guys, they were gone for six weeks, maybe even almost seven weeks. And so, um and you know when you're on the other side of the world for a long time and like you come back and it's like everybody's back in school and you're like well wait a minute my, <laughs> my summer hasn't even really started yet. yeah well you mean the summer's over so um it is a big ask and it and I do think it can affect how you the season starts but I do think there's more and I would say by the way I, that's not to be a complaint there's way more benefits for, you know for I'm just talking about myself but certainly for the players. There's way more benefits than downsides, but uh, so I'm glad you say that. By the way, the um, the Warriors Kings game is now a uh, three point game with six minutes to go, so that's going to come down to the um, to the buzzer, probably. We don't know how it's going to turn out. It's already pretty late for our man Jackson on the East Coast, so we're going to shut her down. But um, Pelton, is there anything else that we didn't cover that you wanted that you had small sample sized for us?
1: Yeah, I guess the the very tiny sample size. I mentioned Harden being concerned. His last two games, 0 of four on two pointers, four of four on free throws. So this is not the the James Harden formula that we're used to seeing.
0: Also, the guy led the league in assists last year, and he's averaging like five and a half a game. Now, I know the circumstances are very different with where the um, what he's asked to do with that, and what he was asked to do in Philadelphia. But I mean, I haven't done the numbers, but I wonder what's the big. For a guy who led the league in assists, what's the biggest drop off the next year? Maybe like that year that Wilt decided to lead the league in assists, and then he was like, "Okay, I'm back to, back to normal." I sh- I mean, like, uh, uh, you know, it's like that's kind of a stunning number too. Uh, not that I'm saying that's an indication of how he's playing, but like, a guy goes from leading assists to being sort of like also ran assists at a point guard spot. It was it's kind of interesting. I think it goes to show just how not functional at the highest level that the clippers offense is right now so yeah all right thank you pelton thank you jackson thank you everybody for uh, listening to this uh, hoop collective we will talk to you uh in a couple of days with tim and tim